Welcome to Lit Poetry, the podcast where we go on a journey of discovery, reading, analyzing, and discussing great poetry from around the world. Poetry is worth it because the reading and writing of poetry is a revolutionary act that has the potential to transform both the reader and our world. Welcome to the Lit Poetry Podcast Season 2. In today's episode, we'll be discussing a poem by the East Timorese poet, Esteviana Amaral, entitled Foho Lolon Hakalak. This is the first poem we are featuring here at Lit Poetry in a language other than English. In this case, we'll be listening to the poem in the main native-speaking tongue spoken in Timor-Leste called Tetum. This is a really powerful poem that lifts the lid on the environmental problems brought on by climate change that now beset countries that are situated closer to the equator like Timor-Leste. It's a poem that challenges Westerners to understand the serious consequences of their lifestyles and how their lifestyles and their actions and their lack of urgency in addressing global issues of climate change are impacting on the lives of others. This poem was suggested to me by former First Lady of Timor-Leste, Kirsty Sorgusmo, who will be joining us shortly on the podcast to discuss both the poem, the poet, and the issues the poem raises. So let's take a listen to the poem, but before I play you the beautiful Tetum recording of this piece, read by the wonderful Evangelina Sores Gama, I just want to quickly read the poem to you in English so that you have a better understanding of its content. In English it's called Cheer to the mountainside. The dew is starting to disappear from the flat leaves. The breeze's calming rhythm embraces the body atop Mount Marabia. Dilly's beauty is like a star in the sky when night falls. The leaves of the Bilad and Lahane plains let out a cheer when the rains come, refreshing the springs in the heat of midday. Springs that are counting the days of the dry and the end of everything. Springs that are full to overflowing with rain. The dry has swallowed all beauty. We burn and fell trees arbitrarily. Creatures lose their nests and become wild. When the rains come, they carry the dry earth from the mountainside to the plains. Some complain about the loss of their homes. Some complain about the loss of clean water. Some complain about the shortage of water. Who actually is to blame here? Me, you, him them, you or us. We will keep pointing our fingers at one another. Who actually is to blame? Who is going to fix this? Fololong haklalak kusi esteviana amaral Mahuen hahu mihis ihaitaham belar Aning horitmu hakmate kase ising Ia foho tutu marabia. Itili nia fura kanesan fitu nia lalehan bahira kalan to'o. Aitaha, iha laletek bali dino lahane haklalak wahira udang monorai. Hafresku matang iha meudia bot. Matang nebe sura ho lorong, bai lorong to'o bot hotu laikona. Matang nebe hafresku, matang mou to'u dabeng. Bailoron tolang furakotu liman sanak sunu no tesi ayar biru. Baladalah konyek nuuk no hahu fui. 
bahira udan to'o belori raimara iha fololong butu kia tetu. Ema balu halerik lako hela fating, ema balu halerik menus bemos, balu halerik behahu menus. Selos maksala ihane. Hau, o, nia, sira, imiho ami. Ita sena fating hatudu limam bamalu. Selos maksala. Selos maksihadia. So welcome back to the podcast. Kirsty Sword Gusamo is an activist, single mum, former first lady of Timor Leste, author, lover of languages, and pinup spy. In 2001, Kirsty founded the Alola Foundation, a not-for-profit organization which strives to improve the lives of women and girls in Timor Leste. The foundation's motto is "Strong Women, Strong Nation." and it has a strong record of enabling girls to complete their secondary schooling, as well as contributing to a dramatic reduction in the rates of infant mortality through promotion of exclusive breastfeeding, family planning and immunisation. Kirsty continues to chair the Alola Foundation, which has been lauded for its work in the areas of education, advocacy, economic empowerment and maternal and child health. In 2015, Kirsty was appointed as an Officer of the Order of Australia for her distinguished service to Australian East Timorese relations through the development of mutual cooperation and understanding, particularly in the education sector. She was also awarded the Order of Timor-Leste in May 2016 for her significant contribution to Timor-Leste's independent struggle and the well-being of its people. Kirsty now lives in Melbourne with her three teenage sons. So welcome, Kirsty. It's great to have you here on the podcast. Oh, great. Thanks for having me on. Oh, it's a pleasure to have you. It's actually been, I think, probably a decade since we've uh, actually spoken um, face-to-face, even though it's over a screen. So it's um, pretty delightful to, to see you after this long period of time, I think. It is. It's wonderful to reconnect mm. over such a, um, a lovely, you know, objective, a lovely um, project. <laughs> yeah, no, it's a, it's a fantastic um project and you've given me a fantastic opportunity to actually get a, a voice of um, an artist who perhaps, you know, I imagine in Timor it's a bit of a struggle to to really to take an art like poetry and, and to get much purchase with it and make it certainly make a livelihood um, and I imagine that a big part of it's done with great passion um, and for the belief in the actual poetry itself. Um, look, that might be a pretty good place to start, actually. Uh, I suppose the questions I have for you are for a young poetess um, in Timor trying to hone her craft, what sort of opportunities um, would somebody um, like a St- Stiviana actually have? Um, and you know her clearly, so if you could tell us a little bit about her and her work and just the obstacles for, for women in, in Timor, writing and practicing the arts, it would be great. 
Sure. So I actually um, have never met Esteviana apart from over the internet. I came across her works actually um, just quite by chance really. Last year I was working for the Ministry of Education of Timor-Leste on um, materials, learning materials for the um, basic education curriculum, which is sort of basically um, years sort of six to nine and there was a unit of work on poetry and so I had quite a big job actually dredging up information about poets and actually poems themselves and I'm not quite sure how how it happened but I, I came across her Facebook profile profile and a link to her blog on which she has published um, quite a large number of poems and also short stories and um, I really loved them and um, many of them were very sort of topical, very relevant. There were a few sort of short stories on love themes that I thought would have, uh, uh, you know, appealed to Timory's youth. So um, I, I wrote to her to ask her permission um, whether I could use some of her stories, including a couple of poems. And she wrote back very enthusiastically because I think, um, you know, for most uh, people working in the literature field, there's you know next to little chance of actually um, making a, a living or of actually having any sort of recognition of at all um, for your your work. So she was very um, chuffed that I had taken the time to be in touch with her, and um, even more delighted that I liked her her work. Um, so, of course, she responded with great enthusiasm um, to the idea of me including some of her poems in the uh, national curriculum oh, of, of Timor-Leste. Um, yeah, so when you reached out to me, I was actually in a fairly good position mm. to sort of suggest, you know, a couple of ideas for poems because of that research mm. that I had done last year. Now, having said that, there are a couple of other, you know, better-known, higher-profile poets, um, all of whom are men, um, and, you know, I could very well have taken one of their poems, but I, I like the idea of actually focusing attention on the on the work of um, a young Timorese woman. I believe Esteviana's in her early 30s um, and someone, you know, who hasn't previously had any um, attention Yeah, whatsoever. from my perspective, I was really, really keen on, on honing in on, on, a, on a young woman or a you know, middle-aged woman who's writing poetry because, yeah, having spent time in Timor, I'm, I'm well aware that, you know, there is uh, probably a little bit of a gender disparity in terms of opportunities and, and your work with Alola Foundation. Um, so for our uh, listeners, mm-hmm. uh, Alola Foundation supports women in the pursuit of well, empowerment and on, on multiple levels. Um, could you tell us a little bit about Alola and maybe how your work with Alola sort of connects with the, this, this thought to promote women in, in literature? Sure. Um, so I established Alola 20 years ago this year um, and the the name actually Alola comes from the name of a young woman called Juliana Dos Santos whose nickname was Alola and Juliana was kidnapped by a militia leader in the violence following the referendum in 1999 and taken across the border as a kind of war trophy and sex slave by the said militia leader. 
She actually remains in West Timor, sadly, today for a range of rather complex political and sort of psychological reasons. But out of the experience of sort of advocating on her behalf and trying to ensure that she at least had a, an opportunity to meet again with her bereaved parents, um, who just shortly before her kidnapping it had lost their only son to the same militia group who was murdered by them. Um, and so that family reunion did play, take place. But as I said, um, Juliana decided to remain in um, in West Timor. Um, so she has borne children to her captor. And it's a really very sad story that's kind of very emblematic, really, of um, the, the the situation of, of women, particularly during conflict. Um, where they are really very much the first to suffer. But, um, you know, Timorese society is a very patriarchal society and um, that experience of working on behalf of Juliana, advocating for her, sort of made me very conscious that there were very many hundreds or thousands of Julianas across Timor-Leste and maybe not mm. having experienced quite such extreme violations but um, who are nevertheless, you know, struggling to be, to be heard, struggling to have their, their rights um, to dignity and to a good life realised. Um, so I set up Alola. It has four main pillars, which are economic empowerment, education, um, advocacy, and maternal and child health. So we established the first um, association to... Uh, promote exclusive breastfeeding which continues today to um, be responsible for the really very high rates of exclusive mm. breastfeeding across the country yeah and it's a largely um, female-run organization too isn't it in all the positions and advocacy and that's right yeah. that's right Yep, so um, all of the man managers, bar one, are females. The CEOs, successive CEOs, have all been um, female and I'm very proud of, you know, how Alola has become, apart from everything else it does, become a bit of a breeding ground for female leadership. Mm, so has that sort of, uh, sort of cascaded into other parts of society? Have people, you know, some of the women from Alola have then gone on to, to work elsewhere with some of the skills they've developed? Absolutely, yep. So one, the, the first CEO now works for UN Women. Mm. Um, the CEO that followed her now works f in the Prime Minister's office on gender-sensitive budgeting. Mm. Um, so, yeah, it certainly has been a, a leaping off point for, for them all. Yeah, um, my partner worked there. Uh, we, were, we lived in Timor um, for about a year. And she absolutely loved it. And I think it was particularly the the culture and the vibe, the the atmosphere of that place. Um, and I imagine that's part of its strength that, you know, there's this sort of environment that you can nurture young women in that empowerment. Would, would that be the, the case? Or? Yeah, absolutely. So the first two CEOs actually had joined the organisation when they were just sort of newly graduated from university. In fact, I think... The first one hadn't even finished her studies because they'd been interrupted due to the violence in 1999. Um, so they came in with very little work experience and just their passion and their drive and motivation. And so to see them blossom 
as women, you know, as managers, as leaders, not just leaders of the organisation, but, you know, leaders of the women's movement in Timor-Leste was just so gratifying yeah, and I so bet, rewarding. I bet it was. Um, so, look, before we talk about the poem, it, it might be good just to um, segue here into, I, I'm a little bit in the darkest, so it's been a, um, a while since I've been to Timor, um, and certainly with COVID-19 and the pandemic around the world, I, I, you know, I think countries are largely obsessed with themselves and their own little, what's happening around them. I feel a little bit at, on the outer of what's really happening on the ground in, in Timor, but I, I, I would trust that you would have your finger on the pulse there. It would be really great to sort of just maybe just, it would be great to hear what's actually been the effects of, of the pandemic in Timor-Leste. Um, yeah, so if you give us an update about that, that would be so so useful and wonderful. Sure. So, so Timor-Leste actually sort of cruised through 2020 and the initial phase of the pandemic um, quite well. Um, it does share a border, of course, with, with West Timor. So um, there was a lot of effort early on to, to, to secure that border and to make sure there was no illegal border crossings from Indonesia because, of course, Indonesia has had huge um, case numbers and has really struggled to manage the, the crisis. However, I think the highest number of cases throughout 2020 was something like uh, 24 um, uh, twenty four deaths in total and really just a couple of hundred uh, positive cases. Um, that changed this year with the arrival of the Delta strain and, um, you know, given that, you know, conditions in most homes in terms of, you know, ability for basic hand hygiene, um, you know, often houses have got you know nuclear family plus numerous extended family members living under one roof so you know social distancing and things um, limiting social contact amongst affected people was was really um, very difficult to enforce um, so the country has been in and out of lockdown this year there've been um, I think less than a hundred deaths still but the case numbers have been much higher uh, this year um, there have been you know as I mentioned lockdowns and also restrictions on movement across the country which has imposed really serious hardship mm. on on people um, particularly you know small traders who rely on being able to get their products to market in you know an another far-flung capital not being able to travel around has meant really se severe um, economic hardship for for those people um, schools of course have been closed down until quite recently um, yeah so so really really very difficult um, compounded by the fact that you know there's been a, a degree of political in instability in Timor mm. over the last um, couple of years so um, yeah 
not a not an easy scenario, even at the best of times. Um, closure of the borders, of course, has meant that the you know tiny little fledgling tourism industry just came to a grinding halt too. So, so you know, medium to large scale businesses yeah. also have suffered yeah, so tremendously. So restaurants and touring companies and all that sort of stuff that there's just been nothing for them at all. Um, I imagine. No, there was the government did promote a domestic. Um, tourism strategy for a period of time, encouraging um, Timorese to to visit places in their own country, and I think that's you know that's been gone some of the way towards um, you know promoting just uh, um, I guess just survival <laughs> economies for for people working in that in that area. But um, it won't be until really international tourism resumes that that those business will will be able to take off mm. again well, well it's, it's very very fascinating to get a, a snapshot of what's happening on the ground um in terms of in terms of um uh, immunization into the the country has australia been sending anything over do you know Yes, yes. Australia, um, from quite early on, was um, donating uh, lots of doses of, of AstraZeneca in particular um, because it's a largely youthful population. About 80% of you know, the country are, are you know, in the very low, lowest age bracket. So um, a lot of people hesitated to take um, AstraZeneca. I believe that Pfizer is now available as well. And actually, you know, I'm not sure exactly what the percentage rates of vaccination are, but um, they're, they're, they're quite significant. I think the, um, the health system there has actually done quite a good job at, at promoting vaccination and, and getting supply out to uh, some of the more remote areas. Having said that, I think, you know, it's still a challenge and the country still needs to, to work harder because, you know, I think we've all realised that that's the only way we're getting out of this mm. uh, crisis anytime yeah, soon. Let's let's think about the poem for a bit now. I, look, I've certainly read um, my own culture and values into the, the poem, and I I think I I feel a weight of of um, accusation with environmental issues and how they affect other countries. And I, and I understand that this poem is actually not just about looking out at other countries; it's actually internal as well. So we might touch upon that. It seems to me to be a very rich environmental poem, and it brings up alarming questions. In me, uh, particularly um, some of the contact, like even just over the last year, there's been the the terrible, what were they last year? Well, the, the terrible floods um, in, in in floods early this year in April, yeah. And uh, if people actually see the video of this um, poem that's on the Lit Poetry channel, they'll see some footage um, taken, and it's really horrific footage. Um, so, yeah, I suppose that's the question I would like to ask you about the state of environmental affairs in in Timor um, and about what this poem perhaps says about this issue and what would be going on perhaps in Steviana's mind in, in penning this this poem yeah look whether she had the 
concept, the idea, the reality of climate change in her mind when she wrote it, or whether she was just very mindful of um, the impacts of you know, the extended period of the dry and um, the dry season in Timor um, does render the environment very um, brittle and very fragile. I mean, the I think what I loved most about the poem was that the, the places that she described in it are very familiar mm. to me, having lived in Delhi for 15 years and having... Um, travelled past Mount Marabia on my way to Dare in the hills where I used to live um, for a long time. Uh, you know, it really, apart from anything else, made me very, very homesick for the country that I call my second home. But, but certainly um, she would be very aware that, you know, there is constantly debate amongst politicians, you know, when a natural disaster uh, like the flooding happens, that, you know, there is a whole lot of finger pointing that goes on, um, that there's lots of complaints from, from people about, you know, lack of, lack of water, um, lack of clean water, and, you know, how it gets, an issue like that gets turned into a bit of a, bit of a political mm. football. You know, I, I, I think probably when she, in her final line of the poem says you know who is going to fix this I think she's probably thinking on a at a local level you know like whose responsibility is this in government but of course one can extrapolate and say you know there's much a much bigger concern here you know who who's responsible for for climate change um and and who is going to do something about that are we going to keep pointing at the politicians and say it's you or are we going to accept collective responsibility for this yeah that that makes a lot of sense to me and there's the line you know you know who's going to who's to blame here me you him them you or us so there is that wider picture of you know the political mm. you know events that are shaping these these um uh environmental catastrophes but also it comes back to the local very much and, th and that's a lovely thing about the poem i think and it's deeply personal, but it's also got this wider gaze as well. And it's trying to weigh it all up and trying to work out where to go. Um, is that the same sort of sense you're getting? That Yes. Yes, absolutely. Mm. Absolutely. And so maybe you could tell us a little bit about it because it's, you know, we're, we're talking about a different culture here, which you're a lot more familiar with than myself, of course. Um, the lines that come through about, you know, some complain, you mentioned before, and then some complain of this, some complain of that. How does the culture function in, in Timor when there are big events like the, um, the, Easter, um, the Easter floods and that sort of thing? Well, you know, people um, who are affected by these sorts of national disasters are usually um, the most fragile, vulnerable sections of the community, ones living in, um, you know, insecure housing uh, in areas of Delhi that are prone to flooding, probably because they can't afford to, to live anywhere else. Uh, ones, you know, living with large numbers of extended family, hence, you know, huge impact when one, one house gets flooded, you know, the number of people affected is, is, is you know, disastrously high. So I think the thing that really um, 
amazed everybody and not amazed everybody that really delighted everybody was that um, given that you know there's uh, Timor is so isolated as most countries around the world are in in the current situation uh, there was a tremendous effort uh, from community groups that spontaneously just banded together so young people students um, there was a group of uh, hospitality workers who got together and put together food parcels um, and food deliveries for those worst affected by by the floods so I mean there were efforts internationally as well to raise funds but um, the thing that really really delighted and you know to some extent surprised people because there has been a little bit of sense that you know when something like this happens um, that you basically wait for the government to to step mm. in and to help and as I mentioned there has been a bit of um, instability within government and within political spheres so I think on this occasion everyone thought well we've learnt not to actually sit down and wait for government to step in and to assist us we're going to take the lead here and actually do something ourselves to respond to this crisis so in spite of all that economic hardship that I mentioned earlier uh, that made you know this response this solidarity all the more um, ad admirable and and amazing yeah, that so, groundswell of yeah um, quite a activity quite a lovely thing to witness coming together people yeah it sounds terrific thing indeed and and perhaps you know coming from the history where you know the UN was there and trying to rebuild Dili and the country from scratch and being dependent on these these powers you know that sort of come in but now this self-empowerment that's um becoming a part of the the fabric of society that's a pretty exciting thing I think in Timor and, and it's it and is. it's quite uh, it's it curious indeed. because I he sent me two uh, poems to actually have a look at and I chose this one to, to work up. The other one, though, was um, kind of connects with what you're saying because it was quite a, um, a, a scathing um, look at, it, at, at politicians, I think, and, and the government and corruption and things like that. So is that also the sentiment mm -hmm. perhaps in the people a little bit? Yeah, look, I guess um, so Timor-Leste celebrates 20 years as an independent nation um, next year and of course there's much to celebrate and much to be um, to be a proud of you know rebuilding a country from ground zero is no mean mm. feat and I think you know the Timorese have learned a lot about self-governance um, and some of that journey has been um, you know I guess becoming disillusioned like we all are at different times in our in our political uh, leadership and um, you know, I guess that's a national, uh, um, natural progression from, you know, the excitement and the, uh, you know, the sense of hope and uh, renewal in uh, rebuilding a country. And then there's, I guess, that realisation that, you know, there's a whole lot of, you know, difficult things to, to grapple with along the way, including, you know, seeing um, uh, people... I guess in the job of leadership for something other than not you know not always noble <laughs> purposes and uh, for lining their own pockets and um, and I guess doing what people see as forgetting what was uh, the motivating force in the times of the the resistance which was you know the collective will to defeat a huge um, and powerful enemy. 
Mm, mm. Yeah, yeah, that, that makes a lot of sense to me. Um, but it's also so exciting to hear that, about that groundswell and then, then perhaps even maybe it's speaking about the new generations coming through and and you know and and and, and being being critical, having a voice and, and standing up, you know, stepping up to the plate. Um, that's a very hopeful thing. A very yeah. hopeful story, I think. There's another thing I wanted to ask you about. It's a little bit of a tangent, but um, just in terms of language, because you yourself are you're, you're well versed in languages. You know, you, you speak Bahasa, and I, I'm not even sure how many languages you speak. But you know, and you're fluent in, in Tetum. <laughs> I suppose for the, the the audience listening in, you know, this is our first poem that we've done in in, a, in a, another language. And of course, if if you know, most of the um, the listeners will probably only be you know, English speaking. Um, people, could you tell us a little bit about what we heard? What did, what did, what did we miss? You know, I gave a little the, the interpretation in English, but what is it about the Tetum language that is beautiful? And what what subtleties do we miss um, in not being able to fully comprehend that language? Or you know, what is is, is there a musicality about Tetum? As you know, how do you see the language in its poetic form? Yeah, um, look, I think it's a very lyrical, beautiful language and I think the poem is um, also. I mean, I think all languages have something about them that they are able to express better than in other languages. And, in fact, I was talking um, about that today because at the moment I'm teaching Tetum online to, to students from not just around Australia but around the globe actually. I have a, a one student from the UK and two from America starting with me tomorrow. Um, and we were just talking about how there's a number of expressions in um, in Tetum that uh, are almost untranslatable. And, I mean, every language has, you know, those, those little morsels uh, that are just, yeah, unique to, to that particular language. And I think, um, you know, poetry, like other works of, of literature, capture the spirit of a, of a place and, and a, a people in a way that's quite, quite unique. So, I, I mean, I translated the poem myself. I had, it took me quite a long time oh, really? to translate it. It's, it's mm. a difficult thing to translate um, anything, but I think translating poetry in particular because there is that... that um, that quality um, of, of of lyricism and of you know conveying the the spirit of a place that's that's very mm. difficult to, to capture in, yeah, in well, words and particularly translated words. I think you did a very good job because I think it holds up very well in English actually. I think it, as an, uh, a poem in English, yeah, it really sp- spoke to me. Um, but I, I also hear when it's when it's spoken in Tetum. There's a there's there's something there's a, a yeah a lyrical quality to it 
I don't fully understand, but it's beautiful. Yeah, and I must say, you, I must commend the the lovely uh, woman who read the poem. Um, she did an absolutely beautiful, beautiful oh, job. That's great. It was very hard to find someone actually. <laughs> it was, yeah, it was. It was um, <laughs> my, the normal places I go to um, to hire voiceover artists. Um, there's there's no team of E's at all on them, so <laughs> I had to yeah. uh, try yeah. a whole lot of other avenues. Yeah, but we got there in the end. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Um, well, look, Kirsty, it's been fantastic talking to you, especially after this long period of time I haven't seen you. Um, for viewers out there, last time I think I saw Kirsty was in Timor. Um, we spent some time together. Uh, and, she, and hospitality in Timor is exceptional. And I would recommend when things open up, if you've got an opportunity to support you know, this small country, um, then go to, you know, to Dili. Go to Timor. There are so many fantastic opportunities there and it is just, the, the people are just so beautiful. Um, you'll have an absolutely delightful time. Um, yeah. Well, I would endorse mm. that and um, not only the, are the people amazingly hospitable, but the country is it very is. beautiful. It's got some of the most pristine marine environments mm. in the world. So if you're a diver, snorkeler, um, hiker, you yeah. will love it. Well, thanks again. Um, and yeah, hopefully we'll talk in the future. Thanks, <laughs> Wonderful. Kirstie. Thanks so Thank much, James. So it's time to wrap up this week's episode and say goodbye. To support our work, we would really encourage you to subscribe to the Lit Poetry Podcast or our YouTube channel. Doing so is the best way that you can support our work. I really hope that you enjoyed this week's discussion and I'll see you next time. Fololong haklalak, kusi esteviana amarau. Mahuen hahu mihis ihaita hambelar. Aning horitmu hakmate kase ising. Ia fohututu marabia. Itilinya fura kanesan fitu ngela leham bahira kalantoo. Aitahan ihala letek bali dinolahan haklalak wahira udang monorai. Afresku matang ihe miudia bot. Matang nebe sura holorong. Bailorong to'o bot hotulai kona. Matang nebe afresku matang mou to'u dabeng. Bailorong tolang furakotu liman sanak sunu no tesi ayar biru. Balada lakonye knuuk no hahufui. Bahira udan to'o Belori raimarang iha fololong butu kiatetu. Ema balu halerik lakong helafati. Ema balu halerik menus bemos. Balu halerik behahu menus. Selos maksala ihane. Hau. O. Nia. Sira. Imiho ami. Ita senafati hatudu lima mbamalu. Selos maksala, selos maksihadia. Listening to the Lit Poetry Podcast, presented by James Laidler. 
For more podcasts, poetry videos, and other useful resources, visit our website at www.litpoetry.com. Thanks for listening.